Today on Ag News Daily. Long story short, I ended up losing over 100 pounds in a year and over 125 pounds to date. And from the beginning of my health journey, I just started sharing more openly about it on my social media pages. And it kind of organically snowballed into this career. Good afternoon and happy Wednesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. We're almost to the weekend, not quite over that hump just yet, Delaney. I I know we're not quite there yet, but do you have any exciting weekend plans or anything? No, I certainly do not. It's about harvest or harvest. It's about planting time to start in our household. So I can't imagine we're going to be doing a whole lot of exciting things coming up anytime soon. Yeah, you're getting a little ahead of yourself there already talking about harvest. Are you just trying to speed up the time? You don't want to go through planting season? Well, I know a lot of farmers prefer, well, I I guess they're probably mixed. I know farmers that love spring planting and I know farmers that love harvest season. I personally love harvest season more than spring planting. Well, I'm glad that we're talking about the different kinds of seasons, planting and harvest, because a lot of sorghum producers are preparing for the upcoming growing season, and some are already looking ahead, like you, Delaney, to harvest. The 2022 National Sorghum Producers Yield Contest is coming up, and that contest provides sorghum farmers with the opportunity to showcase their sorghum crop, competing with farmers from across the Corn Belt, so different regions of the U.S. kind of bringing them together in this friendly competition. It allows the industry to recognize some of the best growers in the U.S. and helps farmers to grow and learn from one another. NSP will begin accepting entries for the 2021 yield contest and contestants are split into east and west regions for each division and contest divisions include irrigated, dryland, no-till, dryland tillage, and one winner for food grade. NSP CEO Tim Lust said that after an exceptional year in 2020, we are looking forward to another year of strong entries and high yields. The yield contest is an opportunity for our producers to push yield boundaries and inspire innovation in the future through knowledge transfer between growers as we recognize some of the best in our industry. The contest has four different objectives to achieve, including improve yields, knowledge transfer, identify producers, and recognize growers. Now, in order to enter, contestants must be paid NSP members at the time of entry. No more than one member of a family may enroll, but each member must have a separate membership. Entries must be submitted via email 10 days prior to harvest of the contest acreage. A full list of entry qualifications and contest rules can be found on the NSP website. So sorghum producers, if you're out there and you haven't really looked into the NSP yield contest, definitely go ahead and do so. Well, since we're talking about contests, Ashton, this one is near and dear to my heart because it involves food. Every year, we have a couple different food competitions here in the state of Iowa, one of which is Iowa's best burger, but also Iowa's best breaded tenderloin. Ashton, I've got to ask, you're from Texas. You obviously eat different foods down there, but have you ever had a breaded pork tenderloin? I don't think I've ever had a breaded one, no. I thought, okay, I I thought that that would be your response because I really think that's more of like an Iowa slash Midwest thing. So when we get you up here this summer for the the World Pork Expo, we're definitely going to have to get you 
a breaded tenderloin because they are delicious. But uh, for those folks living in the state of Iowa or maybe surrounding states, the Iowa Pork Producers Association has begun accepting nominations for their 19th annual Best Breaded Pork Tenderloin Contest. Ashton, like I said, tenderloins are probably one of my favorite foods. So we'll definitely have to make sure you get one when you're up here and you'll have to give us your thoughts on it and see if it's really that great or if it's just something that I love because I'm from Iowa and it's a very traditional like farm quote unquote type of food. We're going to have to do an Instagram live or something and do like a live (laughs) reaction so we can let the people know how I feel about it. But honestly, I I don't like pork a whole lot. It's not my favorite protein, but pork tenderloin is probably my favorite way to eat pork. Yeah, anything deep fat fried, you probably <laughs> would like. Probably, I will say that. I'm a little upset that I, I won't be there for Iowa State Fair or anything because I also oh, hear yes. that your Long Islands are pretty good. They're <laughs> infamous, apparently. They are. There's a lot of good foods. Yeah, that would be the other time for you to come back sometime is the Iowa State Fair because there are tenderloins. Pretty much you can get anything deep fat fried from a fried Twinkie, an Oreo, We had deep fat fried butter one year at the Iowa State Fair. So you certainly can get your fill of treats. Yeah, that was my my nudge to you. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, moving on along with our, our news for today, we've been talking a bit about Joe Biden's, President Biden's infrastructure plan. And yesterday, President Biden met with bipartisan lawmakers to start negotiations on this plan. Biden told reporters that infrastructure extends beyond roads and bridges and also needs to include safe drinking water and broadband access. And we've seen this kind of all coming together in this plan. So not really a whole lot of new information there. I think it was just kind of a reiteration. Um, But the White House also released a state-by-state fact sheet yesterday highlighting the number of bridges and miles of road in each state in poor condition the percentage of households without access to broadband, the billions of dollars required for water infrastructure, among other infrastructure needs. The Rebuild Rural Coalition, which includes more than 250 rural rural and ag groups, is calling for bipartisan support and funding to specifically address rural infrastructure needs. The coalition also wants the administration to leverage existing programs, including rural development grants within the USDA. So we're finally seeing the ball kind of rolling here and making Biden's making these negotiations. And hopefully we'll see some of this kind of start to be implemented in some states. I think this fact sheet, I didn't take a look at it because it wasn't hyperlinked or anything in this article. I probably should have done a little bit more research, but I can get this fact sheet into our newsletter for this week because I think it's important for folks to kind of do a little bit of research, unlike I did, um, to see like what the needs are specific to their state. Fantastic. Well, Ashton, I'm going to take us south of the equator here for a moment to talk about some news coming out of Brazil. Two parts here of news. The first is which uh, soybean, well, I guess they're both soybean related pieces of news, but soybean harvest in Brazil is finally wrapping up at about 85% complete for most of the, the country. However, As we're seeing soybean harvest finish up, we are seeing a few interesting outliers. I mentioned yesterday Brazil is having to shutter processing beef processing facilities, but they're also having to shutter some 
biofuels and ethanol facilities as well because the price of soybean oil has gotten extremely pricey, cutting margins for biodiesel and biofuel producers. So far, we've seen the requirements for the amount of biodiesel that's blended into their diesel fuel down there temporarily lowered from 13% to just 10% now to ease the impact of these pricier soybean oil prices. The Energy and Agriculture Ministries released a joint statement last Friday saying that they had to do this due to higher soybean oil prices. And so they're saying they cite that Chinese soybean demand and low U.S. inventories have really pushed prices higher because the demand for soybean oil has been pricier or the demand, I should say, has been greater than it usually is this time of year. And folks have been turning to Brazil to look for the product, and that's been pushing prices higher. So they've temporarily lowered that blending requirement here. Don't have a date as to when that requirement will transfer back to the 13% higher blended rate. But for now, we're really watching soybean oil prices uh, chug along, chug right along here. And crude oil even today chugged right along as well. But I tell you what, Ash, and what other news do you have for today before we talk markets? Well, Delaney, Cuba was surprisingly in the news for a couple of different things today. And the one that I kind of set my eyes out on was their loosening of a decades-old ban on the slaughter of cattle and sale of beef and dairy as part of ag reforms as that communist-run country battles with food shortages. Ranchers are now being allowed to do as they wish with their livestock Quote, after meeting state quotas and always with a guarantee, it will not result in a reduction of the herd. In 1963, the government made it illegal for Cubans to slaughter their cows or sell beef and byproducts without state permission after Hurricane Flora killed off 20% of the country's beef herd. The number of cattle and milk production has improved through the 80s when the Soviet Union collapsed. And since then, the herd has remained stagnant at around 70% of the 1963 level and powdered milk imports have increased. Farmers can be fined for killing their own cows, leading many to have only one for milk as if others die by accident, they face an investigation. So it's pretty strict over in Cuba in terms of their beef herds. Um, so they're finally kind of letting farmers do as they wish. They're loosening those restrictions. Um, it's kind of anticipated that there's going to be more ag reforms and loosening of some other rules because Cuba is kind of struggling right now because of the pandemic. I mean, they're Food, there's a food shortage going on. And so there's a couple of things that are taking effect to Cuba. I'm going to keep my eye out on this because I don't know exactly what other ag reforms are going to be taking place. The article didn't really hint at anything, just kind of hinting at an anticipation of loosening of other rules. But I thought it was very interesting because obviously Cuba, they're a communist country. They're not anything like the United States when it comes to agriculture. And so I'm really interested to see exactly what all happens and how it all plays out. That will certainly be interesting, won't it, Ashton? It certainly will be, but I'm all out of news for the day. What about you? I am as well other than chatting markets here. And as we get into chatting markets for today, we definitely continued to see uh, grain prices 
head higher here, as well as wheat futures in particular. As Sean mentioned on Monday in our Market Monday episode, he really sees corn and soybeans pushing the envelope pushing any further rallies. And I'd have to be inclined to agree with him here because we saw wheat futures climb for the fifth time in six days now over concerns of a few different weather issues, weather events playing out worldwide, including some really cold temperatures in Europe. And we also saw spring wheat futures climb to a three-year high because we're seeing some dryness here in North America. We saw some scattered showers earlier this week in the northern U.S. Plains and Canadian prairies. It has alleviated a little bit of the drought concern, but like... uh, Well, I guess we haven't talked to Eric Snodgrass yet, but like Eric will talk about, I'm sure tomorrow, we're seeing some really dry areas in the western United States into portions of the Northern Plains, which is, of course, some pretty big wheat growing areas. So that's really pushed markets higher today. And all markets across the grain board have been higher, with the May corn contract closing up 14 cents today to close at 594, the D sub seven to close at 511 and a quarter. Soybeans today, the May contract up 20 and a half cents to close at 1410, the November up 12 three quarters cents to close at 12 and three quarters in the Chicago wheat pits. As I mentioned, a lot of strength here across the wheat complex with the make contract adding 18 and a quarter cents to close at 648. The D's up 17 and a quarter cent to close at 657 and a quarter. Now taking a over, Taking a look at the livestock markets, they weren't quite as lucky today. And live cattle and feeder cattle finish in the red while lean hogs continue to have strength. The April live cattle contract shedding at 30 cents today to close at 122.10. The June down 87 and a half cents to close at 120.05. And in feeder cattle, the April contract shedding $1.30 to close at 141.15. The May down $1.90 to close at 145.42 and a half. And in lean hogs, the April contract adding 20 cents today to close at 130.60. The May up $1.65 to close at 106.57 and a half. And lastly, rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, weakness continued today as the May contract shed 68 cents to close at 1878, the June down 68 cents to close at 1891. Without further ado, Ashton, let's turn it over to your conversation with Coach Kaya. Well, for today's interview, we are talking to Kaya Twistleman, who some of you actually may know as Coach Kaya. Kaya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I'm really excited to talk to you today because you've been on, you know, quite a few bigger shows than I would say Ag News Daily is. I mean, you've been featured in People, on Good Morning America, the Kelly Clarkson show. And I think Delaney's might be a little bit upset that she couldn't be on today to talk to you, but we're super excited to hear your story. But before we really get into that, Kaya, let's talk a little bit about your background. You were raised on a ranch out in California. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about Twistleman Ranch and what it was like growing up on a ranch? Sure. So I grew up in very rural California on uh, my family's ranch where we've been ranching for now seven generations. We've been there since the late 1800s. And when I say rural California, I mean, we are an hour from the nearest grocery store. 
gas station. I had to drive an hour to go to high school one way, very rural, middle of nowhere or middle of everywhere, depending on how you look at it. Um, but our family has been, um, like I said, ranching for generations and our ranch is diversified quite a bit now. It's changed a lot over the years, but we are still primarily a cattle, a working cattle ranch. We run a lot of stalker cattle. We also have a small cow calf herd, as well as some contract cattle, some Coriani steers that we um, rent out to different rodeos all across the West Coast. Um, but most recently our, on our ranch, we've also recently got into the agritourism space. And so we also offer glamping and camping at our family's pond. So a great opportunity for us to bring in people from outside the agriculture industry, primarily from San Francisco and Los Angeles, which are both about three hours away from where we're located to really come and experience that wild west culture, really see what it's like to be on a working cattle ranch. And it's just been a fun way for us to kind of um, share our little piece of paradise with the world and kind of introduce that agriculture lifestyle to those that wouldn't otherwise have that experience. Um, but my family all still mostly works out there at the ranch. And so I'm, I've really tried to find a way for me to continue um, being involved as well as, as doing my coaching business. You know, my career has changed quite a bit over the last um, decade or so, but it's always been fun to kind of keep my strong ag roots there at the family ranch. I would certainly say that your career has probably changed. I mean, just from looking at your website and kind of making the connections between the social medias on Twistleman Ranch and then your personal socials as well. It's, quite a change. And when I think about a lot of the agriculture influencers and the people in that space, I think that you definitely stand out. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey and why you're really titled Coach Kaya? Yeah. So, you know, when I was younger, I, I grew up in 4-H and FFA. I thought, you know, agriculture is what I grew up in. Maybe this is what I'm going to do in the future. But when I went to college at UC Davis, I was not an ag major. Thankfully, I chose an ag school. So I was able to kind of satisfy that passion of mine in other ways. But I went to school thinking maybe I was going to go in the medical route, I knew I wanted to help people in some way. So I was actually a human development major with an education minor. But after going through college, I really realized, man, I still have ag on my heart and I still feel so pulled towards the direction of agriculture and sharing agriculture story. And so my first, I guess you could say big kid job out of college was working for the Kentucky Beef Council. And it was really a, a really great fit for me because it was a way for me to tie in my passions for people as well as my my passions for agriculture into one. And I was really able to be this bridge between the gap of food producers, beef producers, and our consumers. And I loved that role. I loved being someone that could really share the story of agriculture and be a voice for the ag industry that I grew up in. While I was at the Kentucky Beef Council, you know, I had the incredible opportunity there to learn how to do lots of communications and advertising and marketing campaigns. I got to get a lot of media experience doing a lot of cooking demos on the local news stations, radio interviews, and things of that nature. And I would have never imagined how the skills I learned in that role have set me up so well for what I'm doing now when it seems completely different, but also so many similarities. And the way that I became Coach Kaya was really by accident, Ashton. I, this was not planned, not on my radar. I didn't even know a career like this would ever even exist for me. But while I was at the Kentucky Beef Council, um, 
I also started another journey and that was my own health journey. So I'm someone who struggled with my weight and my body image for my entire life. And I finally decided, you know, I think I'm ready to do something different. I really want to pursue this. And I know that there's, there's more that I want for myself in my life. And I started taking intentional actions towards that by really starting with small, simple habits for how to treat my body better and how to speak to my body better. And long story short, I ended up losing over 100 pounds in a year and over 125 pounds to date. And from the beginning of my health journey, I just started sharing more openly about it on my social media pages. And it kind of organically snowballed into this career. People started reaching out to me, asking me if I was doing coaching. They loved what I was doing. They wanted to know how they could learn how to do the same thing, how to rebuild their relationship with themselves. And I really felt my heart being pulled in that direction of what if my role in agriculture isn't in the production space that I was raised in? Maybe it's not even primarily just in ag communications, but what if my role in agriculture is empowering the women and men, but primarily women? What if, what if my role is to empower the women in agriculture to live their happiest, healthiest lives and to rebuild their self-confidence with themselves? And I feel like that's kind of been my way now to pursue this career of being a life coach and really empowering women, but also empowering women specifically in the ag industry. It has been so rewarding and so unexpected, but now my full-time job is mostly sitting behind a computer screen on Zoom, doing coaching with, with women from not only in the US, but all across the world. And it has been so fulfilling and such a cool way for me to take what used to feel like a curse in my life, you know, my battle with my weight and my body image, now has become my greatest blessing and the most rewarding gift now that I can help support other women that are walking that same journey. You know, Kaya, I think that you're very relatable, at least to me personally. And I think that that's, you know, what makes you so successful in the influencer world. And, you know, I was someone who struggled. I'm, I mean, I'm getting my master's degree right now, but I was someone who struggled with whether or not I wanted to continue in the world of agriculture, but I just felt that pull as you did, I think that that's kind of, you know, a powerful industry to be a part of. But when we're talking about your weight loss journey, but also your background in raising beef, I feel like eating beef and, you know, going on a weight loss journey, I feel like a lot of times when we're talking about going on diets or when, you know, health influencers or dietitians talk about what you should be eating, they kind of exclude beef or just, you know, red meat in general. Um, and I guess it kind of gets a bad rap in that realm. So what has that kind of been like for you? Yeah. And, and I'm glad you asked the question too, Ashton, because when I was at my role at the Kentucky Beef Council, you know, I, one of my jobs was to be in charge of our nutrition program. And so it was my job to stand up and to share with registered dietitians and doctors and influencers and moms and students all about beef's role in a heart healthy diet and how it's, you know, this nutrient packed food. But at the time I felt so hypocritical because I knew that I wasn't really walking the talk. I wasn't exactly a vision of what most people would think of as healthy. And I wasn't really practicing what I preached. And on this side of things, it's been so cool to, um, you know, I believe the same things that I believed then about beef, but now to really put that into play and show them like, oh no, look, look at how this health transformation that I've been able to have. And guess what? I didn't give up along the way. I mean, I didn't give up most foods, but I definitely didn't give up beef. And now I feel like it's given me this, this newfound, um, I guess, 
power as a, as a beef advocate, because I'm able to say, listen, this, this is what I know is true about beef. And I also have this passion coming from a family that raises beef, but I am an example of what's possible um, when we believe in ourselves, but also I'm an example of, Hey, if you enjoy beef, it absolutely has a place on your plate when it comes to fueling your body well. And it's been so cool on the flip side of things to go from feeling hypocritical in my role as an advocate to now being a stronger advocate than I would have ever imagined. And it's also been really cool, Ashton, to have a platform where I can talk about beef in spaces that we don't typically hear about it. For example, last year, um, you know, you mentioned some of the media opportunities that I've had, which have been absolutely incredible. And I always, every chance I get, I love to talk about beef or ranching. But one of the lines that was in an interview I had on Access Hollywood last year, and they published this, I said, my favorite diet food is beef. And I felt like such a huge like win to have that line be published in Access Hollywood because that is not something that you hear coming out of Hollywood very often. And so just to be able to, to use my own story to continue advocating for a product that I believe in and representing an industry that I'm so passionate about has been so, so cool. Well, Kaya, it's been great talking to you. And I just want to round out this conversation with one final question. Um, we have, you know, quite a few women that listen to the podcast. And, you know, what is something encouraging that you would tell them? I mean, you mentioned that you, you know, want to guide people to live their happiest, healthiest lives. What's one piece of advice or a piece of encouragement that you would give to them? I think what I would encourage someone who is, you know, really wanting to pursue that that healthier life and not just physically healthy, but mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. I think health is so much bigger picture than just what we look like physically in our bodies. What I would encourage you to do is is focus on the small baby steps. I think a lot of times when we want to transform our lives or when people look at me and see this, you know, big transformation before and after picture, I think that we assume that transformation and change or creating this healthy life means that we're going to have to overhaul our lifestyle overnight, right? People think they have to go into their pantry and take out all the junk food or, you know, sign up for a gym or start running marathons. And it's simply not true. I think that the greatest transformations happen with small baby steps over time. And so what I would encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever your lifestyle currently looks like, simply ask yourself, what can I do to be 1% better than the version of who I was yesterday? And, and doing that versus comparing yourself to everybody else's journeys, your health journey is your own your race, your pace, you get to honor where you're at and look at that one baby step in front of you. And instead of trying to overhaul things or jump in the deep end, really focus on the small baby steps over time. Cause we really drastically overestimate what we can accomplish in a week or a month, but we drastically underestimate what we can accomplish in a year. And I believe, and I know this is true for my own story, the true magic and transformation happens in those small daily baby steps. Well, I know I said that I wanted to end it with one final question, and I don't think this one really counts as a question, but for our listeners that want to go and find you, if they're not already, where can they find you on social media? My favorite place to hang out on social media is on Instagram. I'm coach underscore Kaya. I'm also on Facebook at coach Kaya. And if you want to learn more about my programs or check out the blog, you can visit coachkaya.com. Well, Kaya, thank you so much again for coming on today. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me, Ashton.
Thanks again there to Kaya for coming on and talking to us. It was a really great conversation. Delaney, I'm so sorry you couldn't be a part of it. I know you really wanted to. I told Kaya before we started recording that you were probably a little bit bummed out, maybe even a little bit jealous. (laughs) Yeah, I've certainly followed along with her for quite some time on social media. And, uh, you know, I haven't gotten to seeing her interview on the Kelly show yet, but that's definitely been on my radar as well. Yes, she has been on quite a few shows, like we mentioned there in the interview. It's definitely really interesting, but we're always interviewing interesting people in the ag industry. And tomorrow we're interviewing Eric Snodgrass. I should say we're just having a conversation with Eric about what's going on weather-wise and what we can expect expect here in the future as we begin planting season. So folks, be sure to tune in wherever you listen to your podcast or at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.